groups are so important. They are. All right. Good morning, everyone. It's 10 o'clock sharp, and I, it's, I just want to welcome you to Solana Valley Church. Thank you so, so much for being here today. It's great to have you, and thank you to everyone who's tuning in on Facebook and YouTube right now. Um, I am just grateful because I, I just walked by our table back there, which we've, which we've designated for having, you know, the, the school supply drive that we're doing. And that table's covered with school supplies. Woo-hoo. So thank you. Those, uh, those children at the 11 are going to be so very, very, uh, bl- thankful. And, and so thank you for blessing them. And, uh, we, we can, we'll, we'll be collecting them one more week. So, uh, next Sunday. So if you'd like to still participate, you still can. But anyway. Don't mean to start off with an announcement, but I just want to just just say I'm grateful and just say thank you. So let's stand together and let's sing about his amazing grace. Here we go. All right. right, Let's put our hands together, church, just like this. Let's sing now. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. That's right. He is. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves the breathless? In awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings. And this is, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life That I would be set free Oh, Jesus, I sing for All that you've done for me All that you've done for me And who brings? Who brings the chaos? Back into order, who makes the orphan a son and daughter, the King of glory, the King of glory, who rules the nation with truth and justice, just like the sun in all of its brilliance, the King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That 
Church, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is, and this is, this is amazing grace. This is a failing love. That you would take my place, that you would bear my cross, you lay down your life, and I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. All that you've done for me, Lord, thank you for your grace. Oh, thank you for your Praise Him. Praise Him, you stars above. Galaxies all in motion. Praise Him, you thunder clouds. Leading throughout the heavens. From every mountain top to every wild ocean. Oh, hear all the universe sing praise oh sing praise let everything that breathes let all the earth proclaim great is the Lord our God praise him forever let all that is within me magnify his name Great is the Lord our God. Praise Him forever. Praise Him. Praise Him forever. That's right. Praise Him, you beating heart. Sing for the life He's given. Praise Him, you rescued ones. And join in the sound of heaven from every, from every mountain top to every wild ocean. And oh, hear all the universe see praise. Oh, sing praise. Let everything that breathes, 
Let all the earth proclaim Great is the Lord our God Praise Him forever Let all that is within me Magnify His name Great is the Lord our God Praise Him forever Praise Him Praise Him forever. All right, church, let's do that chorus one more time. Sing praise. Oh, sing praise. Let everything that breathes, let all the earth proclaim. Great is the Lord our God. Praise Him forever. Let all that is within me Magnify His name. Great is the Lord our God. Praise Him forever. Praise Him now. Praise Him forever. Lord, we praise You. We praise You forever. You guys can have a seat for a minute. So I have a question for you today. Before our next song, have you ever faced something that just felt absolutely impossible to overcome it? It just felt impossible. So what you see with your eyes is just, it can't be done. Well, I have good news for you today because we serve a great God. And I want to read a passage to you before our next song. And it's in 2 Kings. And it's about the prophet Elisha. And kind of the context of what's happening here is Israel had an enemy in the king of Aram. And the enemies. Um, wanted to overtake Israel. And so Elisha was faced with a situation that seemed absolutely impossible. If you're in the military and you hear this story, you're like, there's no way that it can come out victorious. But that's why we serve a God that we don't put in a box. He is more powerful than we can imagine. So today I want to read this story to you. And I want you to let God's word speak to you because there's nothing more powerful than his words so think about your impossible situation and listen now the king of Aram was at war with Israel and after conferring with his officers he said I'm going to set up my camp in such and such place so the man of God Elisha he sent word to the king of Israel he said Beware of passing that place because the Armenians, they're going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God, and he said, Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. So this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers, and he demanded, Tell me which of us is on the side of Israel. And he said, None of us, my lord. But Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel, 
He tells the king of Israel the very words that you speak in your bedroom. So God was giving Elisha the ability to tell the king where all the bad guys were. And so they could avoid it. It's kind of cool. And he couldn't figure out how they were doing it. You know, there were no drones. There were, you know, that wasn't back there. It's like they couldn't figure out how could he know where they were going to be. So this is what the king of Aram said. He said, go find out where he is so I can send men and capture him. And the report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and they surrounded the city. So in this time period, it's the strongest army they sent to surround one guy, Elisha. One guy, okay? This is verse 15, 2 Kings 6. When the servant of the man of God got up and he went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. He was panicked. Poor guy. And this is the verse. Don't be afraid. The prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with him. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire surrounding Elisha. What is so cool about that is that sometimes when we face the impossible, we look with our physical eyes. We're not looking at God, we're looking at the circumstance. And we get so overwhelmed. But what's so great about this passage is Elisha says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. We have to put on our spiritual eyes. And the way we do that is we keep our eyes on Jesus and his word. And that's where we see the real truth. And that's where the battle is. So whatever you're facing today. I want to encourage you. Don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are within. That when you're a follower of Jesus, the God of the universe, he is with you, he is for you, and there's nothing he can't do. So this song we're going to sing, it's called Surrounded. And what I love about this song, it's the most simple song I've ever sung. (laughs) Basically, it's two phrases. But I want you, I want to encourage you as we sing it, you know, worship is all about declaring God's goodness and, and praising him. I want you to think about how we fight our battles as followers of Jesus. It's different than the world. You know how we fight? We fight by worship. You know, whatever that battle is, if you choose to worship and trust God and his word, you're fighting a battle. We just fight different than the world. And I want to encourage you. I want to invite you to stand with us. And as we sing this, whatever you're fighting today, whatever battle's in front of you, I want you to see with the eyes of Jesus whatever you're facing.
This is how I fight my battles. 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 Yes, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Oh, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. It may look. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battles. 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 And this is how I fight my battles. Ooh, it may look, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Yes, I am. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how. This is how I fight my battles. 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 Like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded. Thank you, Lord. We are surrounded by you. This is how. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. 
This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my. Sing it again, church. This is how I fight my battles. Let's pray, church. Lord, there's nothing I could really add to what Joy said earlier other than the fact that will your spirit just graciously remind us to worship you when we're in the battle? Will you graciously remind us to turn our hearts and our minds towards you and focus on you as you battle for us? Thank you for who you are, Lord, for all you're doing. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat, everybody. I'd like to invite my wife, Carolyn, up (laughs) for some revival prayer. Yes, ma'am. Good morning, church. So this morning, we are going to turn our focus to revival prayer. And I'm so glad um, that Joy reminded us that one of the ways that we fight our battles is in worship. Another way, and just as important that way we fight our battles is in prayer. As followers of Jesus, we are called to live a life of prayer. And that life of prayer is, is, it's more than just blessing a meal. And it's more than just coming to God with, God, can you please fill in the blank. A life of prayer is continued communication with God. Sometimes it's conversational, and sometimes It's battling. This morning, I want to focus on battling in prayer because there is a battle. There's a battle for our souls. There's a battle for our children. And there's a battle for our nation. I was reading this week of Jesus and his disciples going to Gethsemane just before Jesus was going to the cross. And as Jesus prayed, he told his disciples that was with him to keep watch with him. And as he returned to them, he found them sleeping, and he said, Watch and pray, so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Prayer isn't always easy, but it is crucial for our souls, and it's crucial to see a move of God, and it's crucial that we pray for revival. Last week we had um, Mark Gudgel with us, um, and he was speaking from the book of Mark, and he was talking about Mark 9 where the disciples tried to, dri- they tried to um, drive a demon out of a boy, but they couldn't do it. And they were perplexed because they had done it in the past, but for some reason they weren't able to do it at this time. So they inquired of Jesus, and Jesus said this, this kind can only come out by prayer. They were powerless because they were prayerless. The prayer of the righteous availeth much. So we are called to watch and to pray because there is power in our prayers. So we see how important and vital our prayers are. And this week, I want our focus to be on this coming up week. We have a a midterm election. And I would like us to focus this morning's prayer on our city and on our country, and on our nation. There is a battle going on for our nation. 
voices are really loud. And it seems when one person starts yelling and suddenly everyone is yelling and social media is blowing up and there are varying opinions, and what we see is we see division and we see disunity. If we are to see revival come to our churches and to our land, we have to pray. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we pray for revival, as we pray for the election, the candidates, and the church of America and its effectiveness. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, God. Thank you that your eyes roam throughout the earth so that you may strongly support those whose heart is completely yours. Lord, see us and hear our prayers. This morning, we boldly come to your throne of grace, and we pray for the Church of America. We ask you, God, to send revival to our churches and to our land. Lord, I pray that you would bring this honest wave of repentance and bring a movement of the Spirit that creates this cultural transformation in our country and brings about a country that puts its hope in the Word of God. We pray for a spirit of humility in our churches. We pray for preachers of America to fearlessly proclaim the word of God. And we ask for hearts coming back to you and hearts that have, have that come back to you for the first or come to you for the first time. And God, we pray for the upcoming election. We pray for the candidates to seek God's guidance. God, we pray for their physical protection. Um, Lord, we pray that the candidates um, would have listening ears and that they would have soft hearts, and that we would as well. We pray for strength and encouragement for our leaders. We pray for our leaders that would commit to work together, not for personal agendas, but for God agendas. And we commit this election to you, and reveal to us, God, our part, and we pray that we would be found faithful. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. I want to remind you of a quote by E.L. Moody that said, Every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. Tonight, we're going to join together for revival prayer here at the church. And what we do is we come together for the specific purpose of worship and prayer. And we fight our battles. We fight our battles for the stuff going on personally in our lives. We lift it up to God and we fight in prayer. We fight for those that are so far from God and who need a Savior. We do that in prayer. We fight in prayer for our nation, our nation that is hurting and our nation that is divided. We fight in prayer. We fight in prayer for those who are sick because they need healing and we know who the healer is. So we go to him in prayer and we fight for those people in prayer. I'm begging you to join us tonight and to fight battles with us, to worship with us, We have a God who's leaning into us. So join us tonight at 630 as we commit our hearts, our nation, our loved ones to God in prayer. Thank you so much, Carolyn. Folks, uh, Joy and I have uh, one more song to lead you in this morning. But before we do that, I want to invite you to take a moment to greet the folks around you. And we'll continue our worship in just a second. Thank you.
All right, folks, let's make our way back to our seats. Hey, before we start this next song, will you sing this chorus with me one more time? Um, Larice, you don't need to put it on the screen. I'm just going to invite you to stand and sing this with me. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Yeah, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my Once again. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Joy is going to take the first verse and the chorus on this. She's going to start uh, start this one off by leading it. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. And all my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up. Till I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Sing this to the Lord. Cause all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. Every breath. Of the goodness of God. I love your voice. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire and in darkest night. You are close like no other. Known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. I Church, 
Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your faithfulness. You're an awesome God, and we love you and we praise you. Father, I pray for Pastor Gary right now as he brings your word. Give him wisdom and courage and grace to declare your word this morning. Help us to have ears to hear. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Joy. Uh, thanks for reading the scriptures for us. I uh, love that story uh, from the scriptures. And uh, Carolyn, thank you so much for leading us in prayer today and just reminding us that we are in the middle of a battle, according to the scriptures. But our battle is not against flesh and blood. That's what Paul says. Our, our battle is against the spiritual forces of darkness. And uh, and this is a battle that will not be won in a, bo- uh, uh, a voting booth. It's not going to be one in a voting booth, okay? It's going to be one on our knees in the prayer closet. That's where the battle is won. Uh, because we are in the middle of a spiritual battle, and we need to see God work, uh, a work that only he can do that's far greater than what any of us can do. So I do believe we're supposed to be politically involved, but I don't think uh, we need to lose sight of the gospel, and I don't think we need to lose sight of what we are about in Jesus uh, that being said, I remember years ago, I was just a young man in ministry. This would have been probably 40 years ago. And uh, there was a friend of mine. I'd known him since I was 16 years old. Uh, he was kind of like a spiritual mentor for me. Uh, really awesome guy, cool guy, and uh, in so many ways. He was very patient with me, even though I think I got on his nerves at times. Uh, but I remember one time we were talking about leadership and what is, what is the mark of a really, really good leader and I remember one time he asked me, he says, what's the most important quality of a leader? And I said, well, it's to be a servant. 
And then I remember he said, you're wrong. It's to have vision. And I didn't say it, but I thought, no, you're wrong. I'm right. It's to be a servant. That's what Jesus said. Uh, he, he said, I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And I believe the mark of a really good leader is that they are a servant. But I also believe that a servant, uh, that a leader needs to have vision. But the vision we need to have is not my vision, not the vision of any one person, but we need to have the vision of Jesus. And I believe that Jesus has a vision for his church. I believe this. I believe that Jesus has a vision for his church. And I believe that what Jesus envisions looks something like this. He envisions his church as a united church. And why do I say that? Because in John chapter 17, what Jesus prayed for is that we would be one as he, the Father, and the Spirit are one. So I think the vision of Jesus is that we would be one church united in Jesus. I believe that the vision of Jesus is that we are following him together. Why do I say that? Because over and over and over again throughout the Gospels, Jesus keeps inviting people, follow me. He invites the most unlikely people, tax collectors, sinners, fishermen, which are the worst sinners. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But all kinds of sinners. By the way, I like to fish, all right? Uh, I don't do it as much as I used to, but I do like like that. But but he his his vision is that we would be a united church following Jesus together, loving the way he loves. Jesus said the most important commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. He said that, that next to that is to love your neighbors yourself. And then later he says this in the Gospel of John. He says, love one another as I have loved you. I need to work on that one. Loving others the way Jesus loves me, man, that's a tall order. So what he wants for us is he wants us to be a united church, following him together, loving the way Jesus loves, proclaiming the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel. And making disciples. Making disciples. That's what Jesus was invested in. It wasn't making churchgoers. It was making disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is someone who's learning to follow Jesus in every aspect of life. And the way he taught us to make disciples is teaching them to obey or to observe all that I've commanded you. So it's learning how to obey Jesus in all things. So just that's what we are about. We want to live out the vision of Jesus. We do. The way we try to do that was we try to do that through worship. Worshiping God and all we do, yeah, gathering here for corporate worship on Sundays, but also worshiping God personally in our daily lives, worshiping God, not just, I don't know, and singing a song, which is awesome, but worshiping God in every aspect of life. That, that grow, that growing in Christ day by day, yeah, growing through the instruction of God's word here on the Sunday morning, growing together, growing like Jesus, becoming more like Jesus as you study the word of God together in small groups, but also spending time daily. Reading your Bible for breadth and depth. Reading for breadth, understanding the, the message of the Bible as a whole, but also reading and meditating for depth. Last night, in the middle of the night, I woke up. And, uh, and I just had, I don't know, it was like a really bad dream, but my heart felt haunted. And this was on the day before I'm supposed to preach. And in that moment, I just began to recite 
the first part of the 23rd Psalm again and again. It's something I've been meditating a lot, uh, a lot on lately. And I wasn't able to go back to sleep, and I started meditating on the, the first verse of Psalm 23, and I was like, boom, lights out. Uh, the enemy was trying to keep me awake, but the Lord Jesus helped me sleep because he is my good shepherd. But, uh, but growing in Christ day by day, by serving, serving others over self. I, I think we live in a world, I think the American way is, is you want to be served. Uh, by the way, that's what you call a consumer. We're not called to be consumers of Jesus, consumers of religion, consumers of spiritual services or of churches. We are called to be followers of Jesus, and we follow Jesus. You want to know what following Jesus looks like? It looks like serving. Jesus said, I have come to serve and to give. And when we give ourselves unselfishly in serving others, we look like Jesus. And then finally, reaching. Reaching people who don't yet know Jesus. Not looking at them in a condescending way or thinking that somehow we are better than they are because we have been saved by Jesus. But looking at them and recognizing we have our own brokenness. They do too. The difference is we put our hope in Jesus. And so we have this burning passion in our hearts. We have this burning passion in our hearts to see people come to know Jesus. That's why we pray. By the way, that's why we're praying tonight. It's for the advancement of the gospel. Not just, you know, God would grant my little wish list. I've got a few things on that. But praying for the advancement of the gospel. So this is what we're about as a church. Just kind of wanted to, to hit that real quick. Um, I, I'm, I'm really glad to be back with you guys today. Last Sunday, I was up, we were up in Apple Hill. Uh, my oldest daughter, Cassidy, got married. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if I am distracted today, my heart is still kind of with everything that's been going on there with her, with family. What I love about my oldest daughter, really, all three of my kids are following Jesus, and I, I love that. I really do. Uh, and, and, but what I love about, about Cass is that she had a thriving walk with Jesus before she met Sean, her husband. Husband now. I love being able to say that. He's her husband. And, 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 and Sean had a thriving walk with Jesus. And, uh, and then God brought them together magically through something called the Internet. <laughs> and uh, they started dating. They fell in love. Uh, Sean is an awesome young man. He, he became a follower of Jesus when he was 17. Uh, and, and I've seen Cass's walk with Jesus thrive even more while she's been dating Sean. And I've seen his walk with Jesus thrive even more. And this morning, right now, what they are doing is they are feeding hungry people in Sacramento. This is a ministry that Sean started about 10 years years ago, and he's been doing it every Sunday morning. And, uh, but I love that. I love what they're invested in. And sorry if I'm boasting about my my daughter and my son-in-law, but, you know, if I don't do it, no one else will. Actually, my wife will. So, uh, let's let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, so what we're going to do is we've been doing a series on the book of James called A Faith That Works. And uh, in a couple of weeks ago, actually three weeks ago, I came and I preached a message for you based upon uh, James chapter 2, verse 14. And what I did was I went all the way through verse 19, okay? Now, really, if you want to preach this well, you should start at verse 14 and go all the way through verse 26. But I could not do that in a short enough time frame. 
And so I intentionally broke it up. And uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and I'm going to read for you James chapter 2, verse 14. And then we're going to skip down to verse 20, which is a continuation of the thought all the way down to verse 26. Uh, but in doing this, first of all, I want to kind of I want to kind of paint a picture for you, and I want you to think about this, and I want us to get I want us to think, okay? I want us to imagine. And and the, what I want you to imagine is that there are three men, three men. We'll just say that their names are Mo, Larry, and Curly, okay? Three men, okay? I just pulled those out of thin air, and uh, these three guys, Mo, Larry, and Curly, uh, in you know. They, they, each one of them, they make a decision. They, make, they hear a stirring sermon on a Sunday morning one day. And each of them make a decision that they want to believe in Jesus. Okay? They make this decision. But once they leave, once they make this decision of believing in Jesus, each one of them, their life takes a different direction. With Mo, his direction is this is it's pretty much the same direction his life has always taken. Uh, for him, if Mo, um, he's, he, he, after putting his faith in Jesus, he lives basically an unchanged life, meaning that his life looked virtually the same before and after his profession of faith. If he was materialistic before his faith in Jesus, he would continue to be materialistic afterwards. If he was bitter before he put his faith in Jesus, he was bitter after. If he was immoral before, he was immoral after. If he was selfish before, he was selfish after. If he was prejudiced before towards people, either because of race or because of politics or because of education or because of of socioeconomic status, if he was prejudiced before, he was prejudiced after. If he was ungrateful before, he was ungrateful after. If he was envious before, he was envious after. If he was a gossip before, he was a gossip after. See, Mo is a person that believes in Jesus and is unchanged by his belief. Larry? Larry, uh, he makes a profession of faith in Jesus. And his life makes a drastic change in new direction. But the new direction of his life, it doesn't look like the irreligion of Mo. It looks like the toxic religion of the Pharisee. He's very self-righteous. He's condescending. He looks down on other people who think and believe differently. He is critical and condemning. He despises irreligious people for their irreligiosity. Is that a word? I don't know. It is now. Um, He practices these, quote-unquote, spiritual disciplines religiously. And when I say religiously, I mean rigidly and toxically. And then congratulates himself for all the things he's doing. And thinks of himself as being above others who are not as religious as he is. The third person I want to tell you about is Curly. Uh, This man, his life is changing little by little, day by day. He's learning how to follow Jesus 
imperfectly. Which means that his daily life, that he may have some ups and he may have some downs and he may have some ups and he may have some downs, but there is a consistent, whenever he messes up, he knows it. He's humble about it. He's broken hearted over it. He says, God, forgive me. He knows that God doesn't abandon him. He knows that God will never abandon him. But he confesses his sin and he repents and he continues to follow Jesus. And if his sin causes injury in the life of another, another person, he humbles himself. He humbles himself. By the way, this is one of the great, great markers of healthy spirituality. He humbles himself. He goes to the person and he says, what I did was wrong. There's no excuse. Will you forgive me? See, he knows that he is imperfectly following Jesus, but he is following Jesus consistently. And little by little, day by day, year by year, his life begins to approximate more and more of the Christ life. It looks something like what Paul talks about in the book of Galatians when he says, walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And when he says that, that, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's love. It's not despising people, it's love. It's joy. It's peace. It's, it's patience. Being patient, not just being patient with the people that are easy for you to be patient with. Not just being patient with the people you like. But being patient with the people who, they're very different from you. Maybe you don't naturally like them. But being patient, being kind, not just the people who are like you, who vote the same way you do, who have the same color skin, but being kind with people because they are loved by God, created by God, and God wants to save them. It looks like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, little bit, day by day. Ups, downs, ups, downs, but moving towards Jesus. And this happens, this happens as he is daily seeking intimacy with Jesus in the word and the prayer. Worshiping with the people of God. Investing in the study of scriptures together with the people of God. Living out his faith by serving others and living out his faith by praying for and reaching out to people who don't know Jesus in his community. This brings us to a question. If you consider yourself a Christian, which of these people best represent your life? If you consider yourself to be a Christian, if you consider yourself to be one who's believed in Jesus and been saved, which of these three kinds of people best represent what it means to you in your life right now? Are you more like Mo? Are you more like Larry? Are you more like Curly? I want to ask a question. This is an important question. Otherwise, you're not going to grasp what James is talking about. What is the relationship between faith, believing in Jesus, salvation, what only God can do, saving us, and works? What is the relationship between those three things? Because that's part of what James is trying to address for us here. 
How can we know when faith is real faith, good faith, saving faith, life-changing faith? How can we know? I want to read for you from the Scriptures. This is James chapter 2, verse 14. Then I'll jump down to verse 20. It's going to be up on the screen. I'm reading from the NIV Bible. Uh, and, and so just want to read this for you. And, and this is not my opinion. This is the Word of God. And, and this is what James wrote, and this is what God was saying to first century Jewish Christians scattered among the nations in the first century. But it's also God's word for you today, right now. And what the word of God says is it says, what good is it? By the way, you immediately know he's asking a rhetorical question. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims, claims, really important word. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Again, a rhetorical question. Uh, the, The answer to both these questions is what good is it is it's no good. If someone claims to have faith but they have no deeds, it is no good. It is a no good faith. And, and, and when he asked the question, can that kind of faith save a person? The answer is no. Absolutely not. Okay, so this is taking this towards a little scary territory. But we need to listen to what God is saying. Verse, four, verse uh, 20. You foolish person. So he's speaking to people who are foolishly living like the, the lifestyle they live after they claim to have faith in Jesus is unimportant. He says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? This is an important question. See, what, what, when, when, when this was written to first century Christian Uh, Jewish Christians, they knew their Old Testament backwards and forwards. They knew that this text that James was referring to is in Genesis chapter 22. It's closer towards the end of Abraham's life. They knew this. Hopefully now you know that too. Um, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, you immediately know, because you're a first century Christian Jew, and you know, you can quote large sections of the Old Testament. You might even be able to quote these two chapters, word for word, verbatim. That's how they knew the scriptures. And so you know that this is in Genesis chapter 15, and you know it's approximately 30 years before that other passage. There's a passage of time when Abraham believes God, puts his faith in God, and is declared righteous. And 30 years later, you know that there is this radical obedience to the testing of God. Defies anything I've ever had to do. 
James says this, verse 22. You see that Abraham's faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete. By the way, that word there, complete, means teleos. It's a, it's a Greek word. It's an important word. Um, I don't want to get lost on this. Just remember this for right now. It's the same word that Jesus used when he was on the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, it is teleos, it is complete, it is done. You, you see, uh, his faith, his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him. Uh, again, I apologize. I, I know I'm nerding out on the Greek here. But the, the Greek word for, for, for uh, considered uh, here... Um, Excuse me, for credited here, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness is logismi. It's the same word we get our word logic from. But what it means, it means to credit like credit, like if I were to, you know, Venmo your Venmo account. Anybody know what that is? Okay, two people. All right. Uh, so if I were to write you a check, okay, uh, and I were to write you a check for a million dollars, it would bounce. But let's just pretend like I'm, I can write it, all right? I write you a million-dollar check, and it's credited to your account. That's what, what God did here. He credited it to his account. All right. Verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled. Excuse me. Uh, verse 24. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Then verse 25, he says, In the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. This is a reference to Joshua chapter 2. This uh, happened around 1400 B.C., 1400 years before the birth of Jesus. Uh, what, what happened is Israel was getting ready to go in and take possession of the land of Canaan. And James sent in a couple of spies. They went into the city to spy out the land. They went into the city of Jericho in particular to spy it out. It was a heavily fortified city with very, very tall walls. And so when they went into the city, they went and they stayed with a prostitute whose name was Rahab. You see, uh, Abraham was the patriarch, an example of faith. And now we have the prostitute who's the example of faith. And what Rahab did is she took them into her home she hid them from the king and then sent them out safely. And, and it's very fascinating. The whole story is just so profound, is that she confesses her faith in God. Wow, your God is the God in the heavens and the God here on earth. He is a great and awesome God. And our hearts have melted out of fear because we know what your God has done for you. And so we see her faith in God in her confession. But we also see her faith in God by what she did. She hid the spies. So you see, just like Abraham, his faith and his actions were working together so that his faith was teleos, made complete or perfected. Here again, Rahab, same thing. She believes God. And then she, uh, she works like she believes She's, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. There are two things that I want you to get, and they're really important, so I've written them down for you. Okay, First thing is this. Faith without works is a no-good faith. 
Okay? Faith without works is a no good faith. It's no good. When James says, what good is it to say that you have works to claim, or excuse me, claim to have faith, but you don't have works? He's saying it is a no good faith. Does that kind of faith save a person? The implied answer is no, it doesn't. It's not a saving faith. It is a shallow faith. It is an unbelieving faith. It is a deficient faith. It is a dead faith. It is a worthless and useless faith. So faith without works is a no good faith. Secondly, where there is saving faith, there will be a changing life. Where there's saving faith, there will be a changing life. Let me, let me see if I can explain this in a little bit more detail without getting lost in this. But, but I, I just want to go back to Abraham. Because, um, because Abraham, um, because the Jew, Jewish Christians who were reading this in the first century, they knew their Old Testament really, really well. By the way, if you want to know how to understand your Old Testament really, really well, if you, want, excuse me, if you want to know how to understand your New Testament really, really well, read the Old Testament a lot. Because the better you understand your Old Testament, the better you'll understand the New Testament. If, and if you're confused about what that is, Bible, 66 you know, books. Uh, the first 39 is considered the Old Testament. It was written roughly between 1440 B.C. and 400 B.C. And then uh, the, the next 27 books that begins with Matthew, goes all the way to Revelation, was written over a time frame of roughly, I'm going to say, uh, let's see, James was written, I believe, if I remember correctly, around 49 uh, A.D. And Revelation would have been written around, uh, well, different people date it differently, but I'm going to say probably 90 to 95 A.D. Okay? So roughly a 45-year time frame. All right? So... Um, so those are the two different parts. And now I got lost because I wasn't supposed to talk about that. Um, see, they knew their Old Testament really, really well. So when, 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 when James makes this a reference, they immediately get the point. Is that the point of believing in Jesus, that first point it recorded in James 15, the other incident when he takes Isaac, you know, Abraham has this Horrible experience where God tested him. By the way, just so you know, God's going to test you too. Okay? Just so you know that. Okay? God tested Abraham. God's going to test you too. James already tells us this. James chapter 1 verse 2 uh, through 4 says, Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing, the testing, the testing of your faith, same as Abraham was tested, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, teleos. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Um, in Genesis chapter 22, God decides 30 years after Abraham's initial faith in him, 30 years later, God decides to test Abraham. And he says this, Abraham, take your son, your only son. By the way, that should immediately make you think of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You remember that? 
God tells Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, to the top of Mount Moriah. There I want you to build an altar, and I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice. And what the Bible says is that immediately the next day, it says immediately the next day, early the next day, Abraham gets up. He stacks a bunch of wood on the top of this donkey. He takes two of his servants, and he takes Isaac with him. On the third day, oh, that's kind of interesting, on the third day. On the third day, they come to the top of Mount Moriah. By the way, Mount Moriah is also Mount Zion, just in case you didn't know that. It's the place where Solomon builds his temple. It's kind of like the center point of the city of Jerusalem. He takes Isaac up. On the top of Mount Moriah, he leaves the servants behind. He takes him up. Isaac says, he says, Dad, uh, we've got got the fire, we've got the wood, but where's the lamb? And Abraham says to Isaac, he says, the Lord will provide a lamb. He takes him up there. He builds the altar with stones, which was what they did in those days. And then he arranged the wood on top of the altar. Then he binds his son Isaac. Probably would have been, because the word here, I can't remember the Hebrew word, but basically it means like a young man. It would mean someone who's like adolescence, maybe 12, 13, 14 years of age. He takes him, binds him, lays him up on the wood, and takes the knife. And then the Bible tells us that the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord cries out to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham says, yes, Lord. He says, put down the knife. Because now I know that you fear God. And um, the scripture goes on to tell us that Abraham looked up and he saw a ram. Remember that little word before? God will himself provide. By the way, who is the lamb who is provided? It's Jesus. He provides the lamb and he sacrifices it there. And it's called that place was called the Lord will provide. Um, see, if you were a Jewish Christian, you immediately understood that from the time frame of initial belief to the time frame that his, his faith was completed was a 30-year process. Why am I talking about this? And, and this is where uh, I apologize if I'm a little bit lost. But, but the, the point is where there's saving faith, there will be ch- a changing life. For most, some people, they change dramatically very, very quickly. I made some pretty dramatic changes when I was 16. But my wife will tell you they weren't dramatic enough because I still need to change at 63. I I was told once when I was in my early 20s doing ministry that sometimes I was forceful. And I said, I don't think I'm forceful. And one of our staff women laughed at me. And I realized I'm really out of touch with how I come across to some people. Earlier this year, I asked Matt, where do I need to grow as a leader? I'm like, well, you need to work on vision or you need to, you know, you need to listen to what that mentor said a long time. You need to work on vision. He, he, he told me gentleness. I'm like, ouch, that kind of stinks. 
I, I asked Joy shortly after that because we were going to do a series on the fruit of the spirit, the love, joy, peace, you know, and gentleness. I asked her, which of the fruit of the spirit do I need to work on the most? Within a week of Matt, what Matt said, she said, gentleness. I'm pretty sure they were talking with each other. <laughs> but I still need to grow. See, it's not like any of us. We put our faith in Jesus and immediately our lives are changed. But our, if our lives are never changed, that is a cause for concern. If our faith is a legalistic, judgmental faith, that is a reason for concern. Jesus saved his harshest criticism for those who were legalistic and pharisaical in their religion. Um, so, this whole idea of faith, salvation, and works. I want to read for you, because some people believe that James and Paul were in conflict with each other. And I'm like, you need to read your Bible a little bit more. Okay? When I say read it a little bit more, go back and read Romans chapters 3 and, and 4 and read it three times. And then the next day, read it three times. And do that again for about ten days. You'll understand it pretty well. Go and, and read through Ephesians chapter 2. Don't read it one time. Read it three times. And then read it three more. And three more. And do that for about ten days. And then come back and read the book of James. You know, three times. Once a day. Ten days. You'll know it pretty well. And this is what you'll understand. You'll understand there was no conflict between James and Paul. See, what, what Paul was speaking to, he was speaking to people. He was speaking to people. His main concern is that there were some Judaizers in the church who were saying it's not enough to believe in Jesus. You also have to be circumcised. This becomes apparent in Romans chapter 4. But he's also very, very clear. We are not saved by our works. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's how we're saved. In, in case this isn't clear, I, I put it up here on the, on, on the screen for you, okay? And this is from the New Living Translation, so I've got to turn around and look at it. Uh, no, no, I've got it written down here. Okay, God saved you by his grace. You know what grace is? It's undeserved kindness. See, I don't deserve the kindness of God, but that's what he did for me. For By grace, because God's undeserved kindness. I did not deserve the kindness of God, but he showed it to me anyway. For by grace, God's grace towards me. For by grace, uh, for God saved you by his grace when you believed. Uh, that word, believe, is pistis, means faith. We are saved by grace through faith. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And you can't take credit for this. I don't get to say, well, I'm a really good guy. That's why I'm going to heaven. You don't get to take credit for this. It's a gift from God. It's not something I earned through my works. It was given to me freely as a gift. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Well, gee, it sounds like they're, they were saved by grace, you know, through faith in Christ. Then, then I can live any way I want to, right? If I want to womanize, I can womanize, right? Isn't that what that means? My wife probably feeling a little uneasy right now. Well, she knows where I'm going. No, no. 
because of what it says in verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. Some, some translations call it workmanship. The, the Greek word here uh, is poema, where we get our word poem from. So masterpiece is probably a pretty good translation of the word. See, you are a masterpiece. And the master who made you, his masterpiece was Jesus. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. Or in the New Living uh, Translation, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. See, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But saving faith is never alone. Saving faith will always begin to change our lives as we follow Jesus day by day. Let's pray. God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. Lord, we confess that we cannot change our lives without your power working in us, without uh, your grace Uh, Lord, what we want for ourselves is we want our lives, we don't want to simply say that we believe and then live like we don't. What we want is we want our lives to be shaped by the gospel. We want our lives to be shaped by the gospel. We want our lives, little by little, day by day, we want to learn how to live as Jesus would live if he were us. That's what we want. We want to put our faith or trust in you alone to save us, but then we want to work out our salvation with a spirit of worship in our daily lives. We pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Gary. I've got a few announcements for us before we close today. Um, First announcement is connection. So I want to encourage everybody. The truth is, is following Jesus, he never wanted us to do it by ourselves. You know, when you do anything by yourself, um, honestly, it can just feel lonely and isolation. And what's so cool about following Jesus is the church, the whole design of the church, it's about connection. It's about a family of God. And so one of the great ways we can connect here um, at Solana Valley is through our small groups. And right now we have a couple of co-ed groups going on during the week. Um, Matt just started a men's group on Wednesday nights at his home. I'm starting a brand new ladies group today at 4 o'clock at our house. Um, We're doing it on Proverbs. I'm super excited. Um, But the cool thing about groups is it's about friendship. You know, if I mean, if you kind of feel like you haven't made somebody that you kind of know you want to sit by at church, I want to encourage you, join a small group. Build friendships. We all need friendships. I think especially coming out of the pandemic, there was so much isolation. And obvious, and honestly, like when we started meeting together, when I could hug people again, I need that. I need that friendship. So I just want to encourage you to dive into a group. So our group information is on our SVC app and also on our website. So I want to uh, encourage you to join. Also, every Wednesday at 4 o'clock at Journey Coffee on Chadbourg Road is Coffee with the Pastor. And so cool. So Pastor Gary, Pastor Matt are there every Wednesday at 4. If there's anything you want to talk about, if there's anything you want to pray about, if you just kind of need to talk to a pastor, they're there. Drinking coffee, having fun, 
Um, so I just want to invite you to that Coffee with a Pastor Wednesday at 4 o'clock. And also, I'm super excited, um, coming up on Sunday, December 4th, we are going to have a baptism celebration. And baptisms is one of my favorite Sundays because that's where it's like this physical representation of somebody being brand new in Jesus saying, I want everybody to know I'm a follower of Jesus. And it's like this celebration. So we're having a baptism celebration. So if you have made a decision to follow Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord, but you haven't been baptized yet, I just want to encourage you, take the next step in following him and be baptized. It's basically going public. It's letting people know, I want to follow Jesus. And then I want to just kind of keep growing and becoming more like Jesus the rest of my life. So if you're interested in being baptized, we have a sign-up sheet at the welcome table by the door. Um, If you'd like to be baptized, please sign up. Also, that day, so we'll have baptism. After church, we're going to have um, a little picnic, picnic at church. Basically, we're going to have pizza. We're going to provide, the church will provide pizza for everybody after church. So, hey, free lunch after church. And uh, and then, so if you want to bring a salad, feel free to. But we're going to have pizza and just celebrate the baptism and just kind of have a fun lunch after church on Sunday, December 4th. And at this time, we're also going to worship God through our giving. And I want to share this passage. So our women's study, we're going to be studying the book of Proverbs. And I'm so excited, Jeannie, that you suggested Proverbs because I've never done a study on the book before. And so our verse today for our giving is in Proverbs. And there's, I mean, Proverbs is all about fearing the Lord and wisdom. So Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. And that is the wisdom from God's word. When we honor God with our wealth and with the first part of our giving, then he takes care of us. And that's just very exciting. So if you're here in person today and you have a physical check or a gift you'd like to give, we have a silver slot in the back of the building, that um, in the back uh, uh, wall there, and you can put your giving in there. Uh, if you want to give online, you can also go to solanavalley.org slash giving, and there are several ways of giving there. Um, we have that listed online. And take it away, Matt. Thank you very much, Joy. Let's stand together, everybody, and worship one more time. As Pastor Gary just reminded us, it's the amazing grace of God that saves us. Let's celebrate that together one more time. Who breaks the power? Sing it, church. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger, the King of glory, the King above all kings. Who sticks the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder, the King of glory. The King above all kings. And this is, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. Yes, it is. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. And you lay down. 
you've done for me oh we thank you Lord alright let's put our hands together now who brings the chaos come on who brings the orphan a son and daughter the king of glory the king of glory who rules the nations with truth and justice shines like the sun in all of his brilliance the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing grace this is unfailing love and he would take my place that you would bear my cross you lay down your life that I would be set oh Jesus I sing for you Lord thank you for your amazing grace amen thank you so much for coming here this morning wonderful to be with you Hope to have you back here tonight at 6.30 for Revival Prayer. Have an awesome Sunday, everyone. What's that? Huh? Oh, and donuts, too. Thanks, Gary. (laughs) Thanks for leading by example, Gary.